Welcome into Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, an opening night edition of Locked On Knicks. Unfortunately, opening night did not go as ideally planned for the New York Knicks as they fell 120 to 111 in San Antonio to the Spurs. Fortunately, Alex and I are here to break it down. And we're going to go over a whole bunch of stuff, starting with the collapse that doomed the Knicks in the fourth quarter, an 18-0 run that came at a very bad time, uh, a couple little tweaks that could have changed things one way or the other. And we'll talk about some individual performances, standout games from R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, surprise, surprise, amongst others. And we'll just talk about some other loose ends, including a very peculiar starting lineup. All that's coming up and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. What he does is contagious. Okay, my throat one. You are Locked On Nick, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw, across the river. I'm, I'm staring right at you, Alex, and looking out my window. I can see Jersey from here. Uh, you're sitting right there, and we both are bemoaning a brutal loss for the New York Knicks against the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs ripping off an 18-0 run in the fourth quarter where the Knicks uh, coming off two quarters of, of really the best basketball I've seen from them in like a year and a half, maybe even longer, and it just all sort of fell apart. Yeah, it, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. Like, I think it was a learning experience tonight. There's a couple bad breaks, you know what I mean? Like, Alfred Payton came in, you know, he mentioned during the tease, but had a fantastic game tonight, and... Unfortunately, uh, at about, I think it was about the eight-minute mark uh, of the fourth quarter, something like that, he picked up his fourth foul, or his fifth foul, and that made it so that Fizz had to take him out for a little bit. Um, he put R.J. Barrett in as kind of the de facto point guard, but without Peyton in there, like, doing what he was doing, which was basically pushing the pace all night, the, the Knicks' offense started to stagnate a little bit. And then uh, on top of that, Julius Randle was – like cooking uh down the stretch and he got hurt uh on a on a putback and it, it it wasn't anything serious apparently it was just a cramp in his leg or whatever um he just kind of landed funny and then was kind of limping up and down the court a little bit um he went over to the side got some help and and then did manage to come back into the game and seemed to have no ill effects but those two things combined the fact you had these two players that were such catalysts and the Knicks playing as well as they were had to sit for a little bit it just you know, then the Spurs went on this huge 18 nothing run, uh, turned what was, I think it was like a 7, 5, something like that, points uh, Knicks lead to yeah, six, sort of 6. 6, yeah, all right, split the difference. Yeah. And then, you know, turned it into a double-digit deficit for the Knicks going down the stretch. So uh, it is what it is, you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, cry over it because honestly I was so encouraged by the rest of the game that you know it's it's hard to really care what the win or loss was because this year's probably not going to be all about wins or losses anyway uh but I I loved what I saw you know for a large part of this game the very beginning and the very end sucked but the middle it was like it was like a really really great Italian hoagie but the bun was spoiled you know it was like a stale bun with with great filling in the middle yeah I was uh 
I, I, I don't even know what I think because I, I do think the first and fourth quarter were indicative of some systemic issues on this roster and, and sort of the same things you and I have been pointing out all offseason, namely that the Knicks sort of built a team around all these shoot first guys. And there were stretches where they played very cohesively and David Fisdale got to good lineups where everyone was shooting well and it looked really, really good. And then there were other long stretches, namely in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter where it really tanked them, where everyone was just out for themselves. Everyone was taking these bad, like long pull up twos, like threes early in the shot clock. Even Wayne Ellington, who I, I, I'm going to say by and large this year, I'm not going to mind what he shoots. He, he took just an awful three early in the shot clock. And my whole thing with that is I wish, like, it seems like every other team in the NBA is doing it, and I know that's not literally true, but the vast majority of the league, they it, it seems pretty simple what coaches tell their players. Like, look, if you're Kawhi or KD or something close to that, you you're, go ahead, take as many mid-range jump shots as you want. If you're, if you're not shooting 45% on them, it just it doesn't really make sense as a shot. And what the Knicks have is a plethora of guys who, who fall in love with that shot and want to take it, even though they're not really good at it. Like right now, I'd say Marcus Morris is probably the only guy on the roster who should be shooting it consistently. And he was a guy who was excellent to start this game, really rough down the stretch. And again, just sort of representative of the Knicks issues as a whole. That, that being said, when you kind of put it in perspective, Alex, in that all that really matters this season at the end of the day is the Knicks young guys get a chance to develop and showcase that they're part of the future. RJ Barrett was spectacular, better than I could have imagined in his first ever NBA game playing in San Antonio. Julius Randle until he got hurt really, really good on the whole, though I have a couple of minor complaints. Kevin Knox really good. And ultimately, I mean, that's, that's what matters, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, RJ, RJ was fantastic. Um, Played 37 minutes uh, again, you know, which we, we talked about during the preseason. It's, you know, we'll see how he holds up. I will say, like, RJ looks to be very well conditioned. Like, he never looks gassed throughout the game. Uh, I, I consistently just think that he's, you know, totally good to keep going at any given time. I, I think he's a really well conditioned athlete. Um, we'll just see how the longevity of the season wears on him. But, I mean, he was just, uh, like... Amazing. Totally amazing. There was so many great plays that were just like exactly what we saw during the preseason, but it's like he turned some stuff up to 11 today. Um, as far as getting to the hoop, you know, finishing through contact, um, he, he had a number of creative finishes right around the hoop. Um, he had, he actually managed to hit one of three three pointers, which was good. I mean, that's, that's a percentage that I can live with and a, and a, um, you know, a, an amount of attempts that I can live with, given the fact that he's still working on that shot and how good he is with breaking down the defense and getting to the hoop pretty much at will. Um, he had probably probably my favorite play of the game. It was, like, really quick. Like, I mean, it, it didn't look that impressive when you first watched it until you looked at it again. He uh, tracked down a loose ball, and he had a defender running up to him to try to meet him at the loose ball and, you know, presumably – one of them was going to try to knock it off the other or whatever, you know, to, to get possession. And instead RJ got up to the ball and while off balance had the wherewithal to like snake the ball around the defender to Julius Randle, like streaking towards the hoop on the other side and hit him for like probably one of the coolest assists I, that I've seen that I saw on, on tonight, at least for sure. Um, 
and Julius finished the, you know, finished it for, I think a dunk or a layup, whatever the, the finish wasn't important. It was mostly the pass from RJ. So, uh, that was probably my favorite play, but I mean, the, you could pick any one of like a hundred different plays for RJ tonight because he was really getting after it on both sides of the ball. And it was as good of a debut as I ever could have dreamed for him, honestly. Yeah, I thought that one was a little reminiscent of the classic Wade going between the legs and then the lob to Shaq. Like not not quite on that level, but it, it was just it, it was just an awesome hustle play, and it's one of those little intangible moments that you're like, okay, that's that's what makes this kid special, and, and that's what uh, that's what people are seeing in him. And and if if you notice, I'm I'm already doing an immediate uh, reversal on all my uh, RJ was a bad pick stock that I brought this summer. I'm I'm trying to get off it really quick. If anyone. If anyone's looking to buy low, because I mean he, he he was excellent. I that that dunk he had in transition in the third quarter when he was running with Peyton. I, I just I know he had a couple moments like that in the preseason, but I didn't quite know he had that level of athletic ability. What really stood out, like if he had caught it on a run and slammed it like that, it would have been one thing. But the way Peyton was dribbling, he kind of had to slow his momentum a little bit. And almost at a dead stop, he was able to just take off at one foot, get well above the rim, and flush it. And it was just ridiculous. And then that he he scored, I believe, at the end of the third quarter buzzer. I mean, he he just has the chops of a number one, or he occasionally looks like he has the chops of a number one option as a rookie. And look, there are going to be nights where he absolutely struggles, where he's highly inefficient. The point is he, he just has that swagger, and this is something that I, I think people knew for a long time. And to me, even even when I was knocking him a little bit, was always one of my main selling points for him. He, he has that confidence that he can come in day one and be the best guy on the floor in an NBA game, and, and that's just so hard to replicate. And the fact that he's already winning with his physicality and his strength, and I know we mentioned that throughout the preseason, but against a veteran-laden Spurs team, Rudy Gay guarding him for a lot of his game, and and he's out-muscling him and creating room around the basket just by lowering his shoulder. That's so, so encouraging. Because my, my big complaint about him was he did that all throughout college. He did that all throughout high school. It's like, can he do that in the NBA? And the answer, at least so far, is yes. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think we got so caught up in – gushing about him right away that we didn't even give his stats yet he had 21 points shot 9 of 13 for 69 percent very nice uh and he he had five rebounds two assists two steals three turnovers but I mean I think you could certainly live with it uh with how well he played tonight and it, yeah I I feel like I don't really have much more to gush about him uh, I do feel like we could probably move on to Julius Randle though who I think also had you know, as great of a game as you would want to see out of him, uh, given what the expectations were. I mean, certainly if he can, you would want the three point percentage to be a little higher. He only shot one of four, but I mean, he had 25 points, 10 of 18 shooting. Uh, he got to the line six times. He had 11 rebounds, six assists, only one turnover and three steals. I mean, that's, that's literally like, I mean, if he can average that for the whole season, maybe with a little higher three point percentage, like forget about it. Like he's, He's definitely all-star material, and he's every bit worth every dollar that the Knicks gave him uh, in the offseason because I thought that he looked, I mean, he looked fantastic on offense, um, like superstar level at his best uh, tonight. And even on defense, I thought he looked, you know, certainly passable at the very minimum, which is really all you need out of him with the level of offensive skill that he has. Yeah, uh, I and, and the thing with – for me, at least, was that it could have been better. Like, he, he took some bad shots, contested threes, those long mid-range twos that I'm I'm a big advocate of him just totally eliminating from his game. Obviously, he has that little 
post a fadeaway that I actually I, I don't totally mind him taking because he's just close enough to the basket that I think he could hit it at a pretty decent rate. And, and I get that you have to take a couple of those mid-rangers here and there just to keep a defense honest and ensure that they'll keep playing up on you. But he he just feels like a guy who could hit like 52% of his shots if he only shot at the rim and mixed in three, four, three balls a game and just live at the foul line, only shot six free throws tonight. I, I really don't see any reason why that shouldn't be at eight, nine, or 10 a game unless he's just not playing with enough shooting and teams are just clogging the lane. But he, he is room to get even better. And, and you pointed out the counting stats, 25, 11, and six in just 35 minutes. He was still pretty darn good. Uh, the plus six indicative of the fact that it wasn't just raw numbers. He, he was helping the team. And, and you just remarked on the fact that his defense was pretty decent. I, I just want to quickly get that in from a team-wide perspective. I, I thought until that fourth quarter where the Knicks just completely fell apart, they were pretty darn good defensively as a whole team. And, and that charge was led by Alfred Payton, uh, who had five steals in 26 minutes. It felt like every other possession, he was getting his hands in a passing lane. He was extraordinarily active. Um, I've given him a lot of crap this whole offseason. Like, I, I just didn't get why the Knicks signed him. I, I didn't really think he was valuable as an NBA player, and I want to see him do it over more than one game, but he, he was so, so good defensively setting the tone in this one. Yeah, the team defense in general, like before we move on to just Peyton himself, uh, who obviously deserves a ton of props for what he did for the team. I mean, the defense in general was just swarming. They were just all over everything. Um, they were playing passing lanes masterfully. I, I loved uh, what I was seeing out of them as far as that goes. It was like the Spurs – it felt like for a large stretch of the game there, couldn't get a single pass off without at least like a Nick fingertip on it. You know what I mean? Like it just felt like every time they would go for any sort of pass, especially trying to feed it inside that there was always a hand stretched out ready to, you know, like at least alter the pass in some way, shape or form. So it was very encouraging. Like, I know like the Spurs, they ended up with 120 points, but like, the way that things are going in the NBA with how and the way that the Knicks look to want to play, which is, you know, pushing the pace constantly and, and, you know, always trying to be out on the break and stuff, which then leads to their opponents doing the same. I think that relatively high scores are going to be the norm, but I mean, if, if the Knicks, if the tables were turned and the Knicks had held the Spurs to like 111 points and, you know, managed to win the game like 115 to 111 or something, we'd absolutely be talking about, how fantastic their defense was tonight and how finally it sort of looked like they had a defensive identity, which is nice. Cause that's kind of, that was one of Fisdale's like personal selling points uh, last year coming on as coach. And we never really saw it last year. And I feel like we're starting to see at least some glimmers of that at this point, which is nice to see. Uh, but we should probably move on to Alfred Payton though. Do you want to, do you want to lead the charge on that? Cause I know that, he he had a lot to be happy about today. Yeah, no, I mean, I I pretty much shared what I thought of him. I, I thought, I mean, obviously, he, he was just elite, elite, elite on the defensive end. And then offensively, I mean, this is kind of how he has to play. Like, he was good enough shooting the ball, hit that one three, hit one other long two that I, I was, like, literally cursing out my TV when he shot, and then it went in and just silenced throughout my apartment at that point. And he, he missed two layups he should have finished that were – Part of the impetus of that Spurs run, so that, I guess, brought his overall, if I was grading him for the night, like down from an A to maybe like a B, but he, he was great. I mean, he, he was and just so much better than Dennis Smith Jr. It really it stood out how well he played. Yeah, I mean, 
DSJ and Frank were both a disaster, honestly. Um, DSJ came in. He had one good layup at one point. Uh, otherwise, my God, his, God, his, his jumper was just, it was a horror show. It was really bad. I really hate to like rag on it because I, I want to see improvement from him, but it was bad, man. He took, he took one three kind of from the corner and it was nowhere close. Like it hit like back rim and even out of his hand didn't look like there was any real chance that it was going to go in. And then, uh, he took another shot where it was like a mid range shot and it got, I think it was blocked by Rudy Gay. Uh, it got blocked by somebody. But the only reason it got blocked is because it took him about two hours to, you know, gather and take the shot. And, uh, you know, then it was altered and it came up nowhere close to, to the hoop. So, uh, I'm worried. I'm worried about a shot now at this point because we saw all the videos over the summer and supposedly he was making these improvements. And I, I have yet to see any of them translate onto an NBA court this year so far. I mean, it's, it's still early for him. This is still only the third action that he's seen so far this year, but we'll see what happens with that. Frank came in and was just bad. Uh, just real bad. Um, he, it, there was two plays, uh, Tom Piccolo, who has come on the show a number of times, uh, you know, tweeted out like a clip of two separate plays from Frank. One was he fed his like first, like two seconds in the game. He ran a pick and roll with Taj Gibson and fed it to Taj who went up for a big dunk and clanged it. And so that was the first thing. And then the second, um, there was a, a layup that Frank had in transition that was actually goaltended by Jakob Pertl, and it wasn't called a goaltend because um, it, on the surface, it looked like it looked like Frank had just flubbed the layup. But it, in reality, on replay, you could see that uh, Pertl had slapped it against the glass a little bit uh, after it had already like touched the glass, which is of course a goaltend. Um, so. Other than those two plays, though, he gave up two really, really bad turnovers that sort of sparked that 18-0 run for the Spurs. One was right at the end of the third quarter, and then the other one was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and Frank got yanked almost immediately after that, and rightfully so, because they were just really, really bad passes that he made uh, in dangerous territory that led to easy points for San Antonio. And he fouled guys uh, on the other end while they were taking layups too, instead of just letting the layups go up, he fouled them and gave them and one opportunities, which is twice as bad. So yeah, Peyton really, he stood out from the pack and, and when he wasn't out there, it was super noticeable. Like the second that he had to get subbed out, we mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, like it, it all, that was when it really started to fall apart before then Randall got hurt also, then it like fully fell apart. But um he was pushing the pace, which I think is going to have to be the, the calling card of the Knicks this year is they're just going to have to keep running and running and running and running because if they don't, then the half court sets once again, were sort of exposed in this game as not being very imaginative um, and not being very noteworthy at all. And, and really like the bread and butter for these guys is going to be getting out in transition. Uh, so Peyton was great for that. He was active in the passing lanes. Um, he always had his head up at all times. I mean, it was just, it was like exactly the sort of game that the Knicks signed him for, I think. Yeah, I he he was brilliant as a passer, and that's something that I didn't totally expect. And he, it's funny because Peyton, I think, sort of had the game that I would have expected 
Frank to have in big minutes with, with great steal numbers and just sort of the guy who got the offense moving at the at different points. There, there were still a few shots of his that I would take back, but by and large, I, I thought he made the right decision time and time again. I mean, Frank, like, sure, two bad passes, but I'm not going to be too hard on his night. He only played three minutes, and to your point, I mean, I, I thought the – the, his first play of the game, that pick and roll that you mentioned was excellent. Like he, he did a great job generating a switch. Picture perfect bounce pass. It's, it's clearly obviously not his fault that Gibson blew it. Uh, D, uh, DSJ, I'm ready. I'm, I mean, like, let's, like, look, I want to be reasonable. I, I clearly, I, I just like Frank Moore as a player, but I, I, I just kind of think he's bad. Like <laughs> I just, I haven't seen anything from him that makes me really encouraged like there isn't an element of his game that I'm like okay but that's really great like obviously as the athleticism sure how 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 functionally does that make him great I I just don't see it all that often from him and I want to give him 10 games I want to give him 20 games to have a fair shot but I'm just I, I don't think he's he's anything honestly the reality is he's gonna have to start hitting his jumper at some sort of rate you know it can't be he just, I don't know. I, uh, I think, uh, Jonathan Gavoni, uh, went out and said at one point that he thought, like, during the game, he said, I think that his, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it was, uh, it was Wasserman. Wasserman tweeted it that he was like, I think his jumper looks more broken than Fultz's jumper looked last year. And I'm like, Ouch, that's, that's <laughs> tough, but yeah. I, I honestly can't even disagree with it right now because his jumper really does look that bad. Um, and it's, I don't know what they're going to have to do to fix it, but sooner than later, it's going to have to get fixed because if he can't at least keep teams honest with a jump shot, um, it completely negates his ability to, you know, say pump fake at the three point line and, you know, use that, that speed and driving and finishing ability that, you know, is, is what makes him great on offense. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating to say the least because you can definitely see the talent is there. It's just a matter of it. It's just not coming together for him right now. Um, I feel like we could probably move, move on though. Cause I, I'm tired of talking about negatives. Let's talk. Well, yeah. it, it, we'll talk about a, <laughs> a positive negative. Uh, Marcus Morris, uh, he played a team high, almost 40 minutes, like 39 minutes. Uh, he shot 9 of 18 and scored a team high 26 points. Uh, he had four boards, one assist, three steals. Um, he shot actually the best of anybody, for, well, other than, other than Knox, who we'll get to in a minute, and, uh, Peyton, who only shot one of two. He shot the best on volume from three, hit three of seven, uh, kind of continued the trend scoring that we saw during the preseason, but it was very front loaded performance. Like he really, really killed it in the first half. And then in the second half kind of cooled off significantly and his shot selection got a little worse, which was worrisome. Uh, I feel like this is kind of going to be the Marcus Morris experience this year though, because it feels like he considers himself on this team that he's going to have to be the primary scoring threat even though we can already see like Randall and RJ more than carrying their weight in that respect. Uh, but I think that Morris thinks that he has to be at least one of the big scoring threats on this team every single night. And he's going to take shots in that sort of vein. Um, there's been some comparisons drawn already to Mello, uh, favorable or unfavorable, but I, I think that the, the mentality that he's showing is similar 
uh, to the mentality that Melo would show when, when he was here. Like if the ball hits his hands, like a lot of times he's going to want to stop and take whatever type of shot it is that he wants to take, whether it's a three or, you know, a, a post up, uh, mid range shot or whatever the case may be. I think Morris is looking to shoot more times than not. And just a reminder that today's show is brought to you in part by MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend, plus NBA. Keep that in mind. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag today. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer to get double on your first deposit. Yeah, I... <laughs> he he started off nine for eleven, and then I think he missed his final seven shots. And, and it just it's it's one of those things where it looks really good when it's rolling. It's like, oh my god, is this guy is this is this Kevin Durant? Did we get him? Is he is he just wearing Marcus Morris's face? This is amazing. And then and then it starts to come down to earth, and you're like, oh yeah, that's why that's why he's Marcus Morris. He's not he's not Kevin Durant. I mean, I don't know. I I, I like the guy on a personal level. I mean, I thought uh, I don't know if you caught the like interview he had with Rebecca Harlow, like his whole explanation for coming to the Knicks and how he wants his grandpa to see him play. It it, it got to me a little bit. It made me like him more. I already sort of enjoyed him just because I've watched him for such a long time. But yeah, I just I don't think I don't know if he's a great fit on this team. Like I just wonder. I, he's, I mean, you need, you need someone like him, but I just wonder if you could, if the Knicks could just cut Bobby Portis, uh, cut DSJ and, or just take those two guys out of the rotation, maybe move Morris down to like a 25 minute a roll game, 25 minutes per game roll. And I'd just be interested to see how the team would look like that because the, the thing with Morris is he's 30 years old. He, he sort of is what he is at this point. And in some ways he, he's more than he ever was. Because of the Knicks situation, as you noted, he feels empowered to take shots that maybe he wouldn't have on the Celtics a year ago. And to me, that it sort of feels like a bad thing. I mean, again, you just you look at the box score and it's so hard to knock on the guy like 26 points on nine of 18 shooting, hitting nearly half of your threes, making all of your free throws like that's objectively an awesome offensive game. But on nights where he doesn't start off nine for 11, I just think. I mean, in conjunction with what the rest of this roster is, it's going to tank the Knicks a little bit, and I'm, I'm sort of concerned about that going forward. Oh, I definitely am too. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I hope maybe the front office is thinking this way, but if things continue the way that they're going to, presumably with Morris, you know, soaking up a large number of shot attempts, sometimes the most on the team on any given night, I mean, Julius Randle, you can live with that with because he's legitimately like a young cornerstone that you're hoping to grow with this team for a while, just like you are with RJ Barrett, just like you are with Kevin Knox, whoever else. Marcus Morris is basically a mercenary. I, I hope that the plan is to trade him. I don't want to say as soon as possible, because I feel like a dick saying that, but like basically as soon as possible, like as soon as some team around the league has an injury to one of their players that plays a similar position to Marcus Morris, and you can ship him out and, you know, send him to a team that, that needs his skill set and can put him in a, a more reasonable role given his skill set, I would do it. Um, but keep showcasing him until then. Let the percentages hopefully stay high, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I'm already one game in. I know these are, like, very rash reactions. But one game in, I'm already basically, like, I'd be fine with, you know, if the plan is to unload Marcus Morris at some point in the season and just use him as bait to get a good asset, basically. 
What's a daily podcast for if not rash reactions, Alex? I think I think we're yeah. I mean, they literally have everybody has to hear from us every single day. So, listeners, there's my first. uh, I I don't know if I call that your your hot take. Hot take. Yeah, I don't know if I call that a hot take. I'm not on Stephen A. Smith level. You know what I mean? Lukewarm, lukewarm take. Lukewarm. Yeah, pretty lukewarm take. All right, how about how about we wrap this podcast up because it's uh, due to me seeing Zombieland two tonight and getting home late. It's now one in the morning. Where we're recording excellent movie, by the way, for anyone who wants to see it. That is an, that you know is an what? Let's take let's take yeah. one last foray. I just want to shout out Kevin Knox. Okay, I thought you were going to talk about Zombieland two. Well, no, no, that's who, that's who I was going to mention. I said, oh, I thought you were going to wrap up, wrap up. No, okay. no, 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 no. I was, I was, I was. We can't let him go. I was advertising. I was just promoting Zombieland two <laughs> on paid. Really enjoyable movie, but yeah, that's that's my final positive note of the night. Uh, Kevin Knox, I, I thought I thought he was great. Uh, Thirteen points, five boards. Did somehow I didn't even notice this in real time. Had five fouls in twenty one minutes, which they, here, here's the thing: he should not be guarding Demar Derozan in any situation. Because that that's sort of when this game took a turn for the worst. When Derozan saw Knox and, and his eyes lit up like Shaq at like an open donut bar. Like he he was just like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna feast on this kid and, and even if Knox has improved as a defender he's not he's not ready for DeRozan level guys quite yet but offensively he he was just awesome in this game third as I noted thirteen and five five of nine from the field three of four from three and to me his shot just looked a whole lot cleaner like if you just watched his release sometime last year sometimes last year would get a little muddled and that guide hand would would sort of be in on the shot and, and this time it was like every single time it was picture perfect with one hand he he always has i think really good balance and a really good base but he's able to take advantage of it because of how good his release was in this game and then he had the, the one other shot he hit or the, or the one other one that i noticed he had this kick ass like drive to the basket super confident took some contact got right to the rim and laid it in. I, I just, it was exactly what I want out of Kevin Knox this season. They had that really interesting lineup only for a couple of minutes since Frank got himself out of the game where it was, uh, Frank, RJ, Knox, Morris, and Gibson. And I wouldn't mind seeing more of that look made with Randall in there instead of Morris, but I, I just love Barrett and uh, Knox out there together. And, and tonight I, I just thought he was excellent. Yeah. Uh, on, on defense, as you mentioned, he got wrecked. He got absolutely destroyed by DeMar DeRozan, mostly by DeMar DeRozan. I mean, the rest of the time, whatever, he was passable enough, I guess. But those minutes against DeRozan were were real tough stuff to watch. But that's not an ideal matchup for him. Like, DeRozan, I know he plays more shooting guard, you know, at uh, in San Antonio, but that's kind of just because of necessity. Um, or did I say shooting guard? I meant to say small forward. Yeah, but it, he uh, he he is a shooting guard by trade, or has been for most of his career. Knox really is like a flex small forward, power forward. Uh, so that's just kind of a matchup to begin with that that isn't going to be you know favorable to Knox. Uh, but other than that, like like you said on offense, I mean he's really flashing. It, it's carried over all the way from summer league to preseason to now. He's he's flashing the ability to really be like a silky smooth scorer. Um, all these little things that he does so well, like he, his first bucket of the game um, was a just like a jab step three, like, and he just did it so effortlessly. Like he he got the ball at the you know top of the three point line, kicked it over to the side, I got it immediately back, took one quick jab step just to free up just enough space, and then he's so long that he just popped that shot right there, and it was quick, it was fluid, it went right in, it was it was just beautiful. Um, you know, he made two other threes after that. As you mentioned, he had that really strong take in the lane. Uh, that was a great transition opportunity. Like, he's just like, 
a total like gazelle in transition. Like he just like glides to the hoop anymore and, and he's getting so much better at, you know, taking off at the right point and, uh, absorbing contact better and, and finding the right place to finish rather than just flailing. So I, I really liked what I saw out of him and I really, I think he's, if he continues on this path, he has a legitimate shot at, um, at becoming like a real good scorer in this league. Uh, last, 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 last thing that I just want to gripe on is I really hope that Fizdale does not trot Alonzo Trier out there to start the next game because that was just an abysmal decision. And if he'd literally, if he'd gone even with Alfred Payton to start the game or anybody, like, uh, honestly, Dennis Smith Jr. would have played better than Alonzo Trier did to start the game. It was just so bad. It was such a horrible decision. And literally, like, the Knicks started off the game shooting something like, it was like one for 11 or something like that because they just couldn't get anything going. All they were doing was ISOing for the first, like, six, seven minutes of the game. And that was why they they fell in a hole to begin with. And then they they outplayed the Spurs enough that they were down, I think, like, 16 at one point or something. They outplayed the Spurs enough to take the lead by six late. I mean, and then finally wound up losing, but... You know, if if they had played them even close to even at the beginning there, then they would have been, you know, up by double digits late, and maybe the Spurs don't even have their starters in at that point based off how Popovich plays the game. So, yeah. you know, it's it's like it could have been a totally different ball game, literally just from changing the starting lineup. And I think that Fizz's logic that he said prior to the game of like it doesn't matter who starts, it's all about who finishes. Like that's that's crap. Like you need to put your best lineup on the floor to start the game because you need to set the tone for the whole game right from that that word go. So I hope he makes that change going into the next game, which I'm fairly certain he will. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't mind, uh, not that it's going to matter because Mitchell will be back, but uh, Gibson over Portis just because, I mean, that that lineup, I, I just looking at it, I was like, what, like, it just makes me question Bisdale in general. I'm like, what what are you hoping for? Like, you, you just put five guys on the floor, I mean, RJ slight exception, who are just all looking for their shot. Like, how, how is that going to fit? And then for the offense to not even be there, even though you have all these scores, it was just, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't really make any sense to me, but I'm hoping for better. There were positives to come at it tonight. Most importantly, uh, RJ Barrett is really good at basketball. And honestly, that's, that's far and away the biggest thing the Knicks have to worry about this year. Uh, with that, we can wrap up this season opening edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. It was an absolute joy. We will be back in your earbuds soon. Until then, enjoy New York, enjoy the Knicks, most importantly, enjoy RJ Barrett.